Welcome to a special Thanksgiving Day episode. And uh, if you're a turkey, you might say, don't eat us. But you're of the podcastle, you might say, to us at the underscore podcastle. Here with two guests today from the critically acclaimed show, Taya's Kitchen, Taya Hasid, and uh, also from the Southern California chain of beef and meat rotisserie restaurants, Amy Haskett is on the program, and we are going to be talking about various Thanksgiving dishes. Ladies, I'm going to leave it up for discussion. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? We're doing well. Taya, tell us what's going on. Doing well. Just finished a stressful work day. Very happy to be here. A couple Xanaxes in the system. You'll be feeling a loosen and goosing in no time. So we have a couple questions. John's going to be joining us in just a few moments. Uh, Thanksgiving is a very special holiday uh, for food, foodies and the culinary delights. So I want to turn it over to uh, one of you guys first. Amy, we're going to start with you. I have meat questions. I have meat needs, but that's not something that we can be helped on this show. That's that's psychological help. But uh, tell us with Thanksgiving. Um, we're going to be chiming with a few questions, but when you prep the bird and the stuffing, and the stuffing's the big topic here, but the first question is when you prep the bird, how long do you cook a 15-pounder for? Go. Well... It really depends on your cooking method. I think everyone needs to incorporate a word into their vocabulary, and that word is spatchcock. Hmm. Sounds tasty. <laughs> it is. It, you remove the backbone of the turkey, so it's essentially butterflying it, and you cook it flat, so you can cook it for a lot less time. But that would be if you spatchcock. If you cook it normally, then you cook it for a lot longer at slower temperature because otherwise you dry out the meat. I don't know exact times because my parents always get like a 22-pounder. So it takes a long time. Um, it but yeah, good it's, it's good and you have a lot of leftovers because who doesn't love a day four turkey casserole like a Catholic family? Spatchcock, spatchcock, spatchcock. So what exactly is... Uh, the spatchcock. The spatchcock is where you essentially cut out the back of the turkey. So you cut out the backbone and you lay it flat, skin side up, so it gets nice and crispy, and you roast it that way. All right. So uh, how much does a spatchcock go for? Uh, I'm just going to see how much time uh, we can. How many times we can use the term spatchcock in a sentence? Uh, but no, it's it's like a uh, spatula of sorts that you can just kind of get. It, it is not. A piece of equipment. It is a technique of cooking. It's <laughs> so it's a spatchcocky. <laughs> Not quite. It's like a filthier version of the word butterfly because that's essentially what you're doing is you're butterflying your bird, but spatchcock just sounds better. Okay, cool. Um, well, we learn something every day. I haven't known that. Remember to uh, tweet us all your meat questions at the underscore podcastle. Now, you guys have done something very special this week. And I want to dive into this. We've done a lot of things that were special. But the stuffing and the barbecue turkey uh, is what I really want to get into. Um, do you want to get into the barbecue turkey first? All right. Talia, 
lay it down for the listeners. What's going on? All right. I've never done this myself, but I have heard that you can barbecue a turkey and it's far tastier than cooking it in the oven for hours. So what you have to do is get one of those turkey baster pan things. You put a combination of orange juice and cranberry juice in the bottom of the turkey baster. You sit the turkey on top of that combination of juices and you put it in the barbecue and you close the lid and what happens is all the juices come up and around the turkey so it's covered in all this delicious juice and it tastes so much more moist and so much better than if you're like drying it out in the oven for hours and hours um, and no one ever even likes it in the end so I've never done it myself but I highly encourage you to check out some recipes on how to barbecue a turkey for Thanksgiving because it's quicker it's tastier and uh, it'll please everyone. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I've never had a barbecue turkey up until two years ago. I went to somebody's house for Thanksgiving, and there were a few turkeys going on, and there was a barbecued one that was on the stove. Like, they barbecued it, and they were just leave, leaving it out in the stove for people to, to pick at and, and poke at and slash. And uh, it was really good. I, I had a, a big time, um, a good time eating uh, that bird. Uh, from my throat down to my lungs, and um, it was just really delicious. So, um, what made you think of the barbecue turkey, though? Is that is that like a trend happening right now? I don't know if it's a trend. It could possibly be a trend. I had an appointment the other day, and my woman goes, "What are you doing for Thanksgiving?" And I said, "Well, nothing because whatever." And she started talking about the Thanksgiving barbecued turkey that she has every year, and she's been doing it for years. And she found the recipe. In the pamphlet that came with her barbecue 20 years ago, apparently this pamphlet had a recipe for how to barbecue a turkey when she bought this barbecue and she's been using it ever since she bought this barbecue 20 years ago and people rave about it all the time and I feel like if if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Sounds pretty good to me. You guys, now you guys are are culinary experts. If I, I, I wouldn't know the, I really don't know the first thing about cooking other than um, you know, what to eat out of the trash can and what cereal I can put together in the morning. By the way, mean bowl of cornflakes coming out of the house. Um, but you guys really know what you're doing, obviously, and it is an art. Um, cooking and baking, uh, two things, uh, you know, we'll have John comment on later. I know he's big into the, the culinary deductibles. But uh, you guys did something this week. Well, you guys each did two different kinds of stuffing, okay? And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Amy, you, you started with a uh, jalapeno... Uh, and bacon-flavored stuffing of sorts. And Talia did a gluten-free, dairy-free stuffing, which is more on the sweet side. And Amy, you were more on the uh, savory side, correct? Because I, I, I've sampled them both, and they were delicious. In fact, the one day, the only thing I had for lunch was stuffing. And I was eating it out of a plastic thing. At one point, I don't even know if I was using a fork. I was just kind of... <laughs> Down the hatch because it was so good. So um, I don't know who wants to go first, but I really want to get the recipe and like find out uh, how you did it and also how people can make it at home and what they can do. So Amy, tell us a little about the uh, stuffing that you made. My stuffing is for the board cook out there who's really interested in making it from scratch. So that's what I was tasked to do. Um, you can probably get away with a good stovetop or Marie Callender's box and call it a day. Those are delicious. But I wanted to come up with something non-traditional and something that'll take up a lot of your time. So 
I went with the bacon jalapeno from scratch stuffing. It's a combination of toasted white bread and cornbread. Um, about eight cups of the white, six cups of the corn. Um, you also do a whole onion, three stalks of celery, some jalapeno. Um, you got your bacon, your butter, so many ingredients to make it an unhealthy treat for you and your loved ones. Um, but yeah, do you want me to go through the recipe? No, please. Yeah, by all means. Okay. I did about four slices of bacon, but what I learned after I made it was that the bacon and jalapeno flavors didn't exactly sing like I wanted them to. So if you want it to be more bacony, I would suggest doing six to eight slices of bacon. You cook that in some butter for about five minutes until it's not super crispy, but cooked all the way through, saute it in your pan, and then you take it out, leaving your bacon fat in the pan, and you throw in your diced onion, like I said, a whole onion, about three stalks of celery, and a jalapeno. If you like it spicy, pop two jalapenos in there, because this was kind of on the bland side, this recipe. So yeah, definitely, I would add more jalapeno. I, th- I thought it was delicious not to interrupt you, but um, see, this is why I can't cook. All, all these things that you're describing, I would just start eating alone. Like, they'd be like, is there bacon in there? I'd be like, I, I ate all the bacon. I'd be crying in the corner in, in my apple juice. Um, I don't think I can make it that far. When you said, you lost me at eight bacons, that would be, they would be in my belly, and I would be in the other room watching uh, football. But anyway, so it depends on your uh, the person's preferences for bacon and uh, how hot they want it to be. They can kind of uh, guesstimate, if you will, with the, uh, with, with the ingredients. And I have a solution to your bacon problem. Just make extra for yourself. There's nothing wrong with eating bacon while you cook bacon. And there's nothing wrong with drinking while you cook. In fact, I think that's the preferred method for all kitchen cooks and chefs out there. Drink while you cook. It makes it taste better. So anyway, back, back to the recipe. You're probably not gnawing on your onion, so you can throw that in your pan with the uh, the bacon fat. Um, it's a whole onion, three stalks of celery, and like I said, one to two jalapenos, depending on your preference. You saute that for about five minutes. Then you add three cups of chicken broth and bring it to a simmer. While you're doing that, you want to mix two eggs with about a cup of pepper jack cheese. Again, that's all up to your preference. I thought one cup of cheese was enough, but if you like super cheesy, throw in more. You really can't go wrong with more cheese, more bacon, more butter. Those are ingredients where you go big or go home. So once once your stove mixture comes to a simmer, then you add that to your bread crumbles, and then you add in your egg and your cheese. Um, you mix it all up, throw it into like a... 9 by 13 casserole dish, cook it covered for 30 minutes and then uncovered for 20 minutes. So you get that like nice brown crispiness on top. I actually added butter to the top of it because again, more butter never hurt anyone. It's the Paula Deen method. Delicious. (laughs) Yeah. So always add more. And if you have any, if you're actually making this with a turkey, you can add some uh, pan drippings from your turkey to it because that would really help with the flavor too. Anytime where you can add meat juices to your dishes, do it. Potatoes, stuffing, macaroni, all starch needs meat. So that's about it. And I thought it was delicious. But like I said, I would definitely add more bacon and more jalapeno to the original recipe. Sounded really good. Yeah, and it tasted really good too. Thank you so much for for sharing that with the uh, 
the minions out there listening to the podcast. Uh, yeah, it was really good. And you know what's interesting, too, is I like how with a lot of this stuff, it sounds like you can kind of tweak it based on your preferences. So if you're not really a spicy person, you could, you know, maybe omit the jalapeno or go down with uh, some of the uh, levels of, you know, how much pepper jack, maybe use a different kind of cheese. Um, but it's really interesting, though. It's really good. I love the advice about drinking um, while you cook. I guess I, I'm pretty good at doing that at night. I, I just Not the, the cooking part, but, but everything else. I'm good at drinking and eating things that are left around. Um, so, and then, oh, did we forget something else in there? Oh, yeah. I totally forgot. You add the bacon back in before you mix it. I'm sure people would have figured it out because you don't just leave the bacon bits on the side. But Not me. It would have been there all night. I'd be like, it doesn't taste like bacon. But that's how you do it? Yeah. So, yeah, you add the bacon back when you mix everything together. Sweet. We're going to try that out. Amy Haskett, please chime in with, uh, with other um, qualms about the show and ingredients. Next brings us to uh, Taya Hasid, who is going to be disclosing how to make a gluten-free, dairy-free stuffing, which I'm really curious about because uh, I tasted it. It tasted sweet. It tasted really good. Um, but I didn't ask um, what the ingredients were, so I'd imagine there were some different things in there. So uh, tell us, like, how, how exactly did you, did you pull off this stunt? All right, so it can sometimes be challenging to convert recipes that are filled with gluten and dairy and and ingredients that some people can't have um, to a gluten and dairy-free version. Uh, So this time, I've never made stuffing before, so this was an experiment, and... um, I would say I'd say it went down pretty well. It it worked. It's it's palatable. Um, so I also made a hybrid of a stuffing that contained both cornbread and white bread. So uh, I made a batch of cornbread. And if you're not into the sweet stuffing, then this recipe probably won't be for you because cornbread is going to make it a little bit sweeter. Um, you make your batch of cornbread. You and you would get. You can get a gluten-free mix of cornbread from the store. You can make it yourself. Um, whatever works for you. You get some some gluten-free white bread, and I used about six slices of white bread. Um, you get some stock. I used vegetable stock. You can get chicken stock or beef stock. Um, you mix it all up with an egg and uh, some heavy cream, which if you can't tolerate dairy, then you'll have to substitute out as well. And a good substitute for heavy cream or half and half is uh, coconut milk or preferably culinary coconut milk, which is a little bit thicker than regular coconut milk um, and kind of gives it that substance and um, flavor. You don't really taste the coconut because there isn't a lot in the recipe, um, but it is required to kind of mix everything together and um, kind of just make it just make it thicker and better. And the recipe that I did um, actually called for it to be cooked in a crock pot. So I love crock pots. I think anything can be cooked in crock pots and it makes it so much easier. You set the timer for a few hours, you let it go overnight or whatever, you run your errands, you come back and you have this delicious meal. It smells up the house real good. And so you get your uh, all your ingredients in a bowl, you mix it all together and it's going to be this really thick kind of batter sort of that's full of cornbread and stock and white bread and egg and a bunch of random stuff I also throwed in through wow throwed I threw in I threw in (laughs) I threw in some celery and some carrots and onions I actually did saute those ingredients with non-dairy butter for about 20 minutes to make them really soft and brown um and then I threw it in with my cornbread and my bread and my all of my other ingredients. I put it in the crock pot for 
on high actually for for quite a bit of time, probably about five or six hours. Um, but it really doesn't matter in a crock pot. Nothing tends to dry out in a crock pot. You can kind of just put it in there and guess. Um, I'd recommend putting it in there for lower amounts of time because you can always up the time if it's not enough time. But if you put it in for too long, it might get burnt. But typically, you're pretty safe in a crock pot. It tends to keep everything pretty moist and cook it really well. So you throw it in your crock pot, you let it go. And uh, in the end, you have this delicious, sweeter stuffing that's gluten-free and dairy-free and that everyone at your Thanksgiving party can enjoy. Great job. Thank you. That was really good. And I'm, I'm really excited to learn about that. I, I do have a question. The coconut milk, could you substitute that with almond milk or is that not the same or that be disgusting? In this scenario, I would not substitute it with almond milk typically because, well, this, this recipe called for, for uh, half and half and that's half milk, half cream. So it's a thicker consistency than regular milk. So if you just substitute it with almond milk, it's going to be thin and I'm not sure how it's going to affect the recipe in the end. It'll probably be fine. Um, but just to be safe, you can get culinary coconut milk from the store. Um, you know, any kind of health food store will carry it. And it's this thick white substance that you can use. It's like, it's kind of like a Sorry to chime in. Um, it's coconut cream is what happens when the coconut milk separates. Um, and you can get it in a can, usually in the Asian food section of your grocery store. Um, I think there's one. I don't, I don't remember the brands, but you it's well, you, you get a can of coconut milk and you don't want the reduced fat. You want the full fat. And what happens is in the can, if you don't shake it up, the milk separates. That, so it's like the water on the bottom and the cream on top. And whenever you need a substitute, sort of a a creamy like a, a whipping cream or a half and half, you want to scoop that coconut cream from the top. You probably can avoid that situation with the culinary coconut milk. But when you don't want to go to a special store because Vons is down the street, you can go pick up a can of coconut milk, don't shake it, and you've got coconut cream. So it's, uh, I'm going to pass over to Taya. I just, the quick question about the uh, comment about the coconut cream, it's usually found in the Asian section of the store. So it's basically, um, you know, if you go in there, it's kind of like, me Chinese man, me no scream, me go sell you coconut cream. Is that, is that how it is? <laughs> you don't want to comment to that racist tirade? No, Ty, you want to make a comment about that? I just wanted to add to Amy's um, pretty perfect description of, of coconut milk. Um, what a lot of people do is if you know that you're going to be cooking the next day, you'll go and you'll get this coconut cream uh, from the store, this coconut milk, excuse me, from the store. You'll put it in the fridge overnight so that it has a chance to kind of get thick. And then in the fridge, the the milk will separate from the cream part. And you'll find that when you open in the morning, the cream will kind of all be at the top. So all you literally have to do is scoop it out from the top rather than kind of like digging in to find where the cream's at. Um, so I would recommend putting it in the fridge overnight so it has a chance to kind of get thick. Makes sense. Really good techniques too. It's it's more of an art form and a science than a hobby. Is this considered more? Uh, do you guys absolutely love enjoying doing this, or is it just kind of, you know, easier on the wallet kind of thing? Like I, you guys seem like you really love love to cook. To create, so you're an artiste. I do love to cook. I actually love to cook for other people more than I do for myself. I don't typically make very elaborate meals if I'm eating by myself, but I do. I'll have I'll host dinner parties and. Um, feasts for my friends. 
If you do the dinner parties, do you make grand uh, grand hallway stair or grand stairway entrances where they're like, Amy, the guest arrives, and you come out in a, in a dress from the Victorian period and go, it's been a year if it hasn't been a day, and then you slide down and go, let us feast, let us, is that how it is, or is it more just like get together and have like a Paris night and smoke some pot? I would love to make a grand entrance for all of my dinner parties, but usually I'm sweating my nuts off in the kitchen. <laughs> Ty, are you so you love to cook? You're you're a baker as well too, which I know is a, is a whole different ballgame. But is it like tell us? Do you you really enjoy doing this? I do love to bake. I prefer baking over cooking. Baking is more of a science, and cooking is more of an art, especially gluten free and dairy free baking. You really have no leeway in terms of ingredients and making mistakes. Like if you screw up, if you put like a tablespoon more of flour in your gluten-free brownies than you're screwed and they go in the garbage. And, and I've, and I've learned that the hard way. I remember I started baking back in graduate school. I needed a, a distraction from, from school and from my studies. And so I was like, I'm just going to start baking. And I brought everything to the library and all my friends would eat it. And I'd be like, this is fun. People eat what I bake. So like Amy, I don't like cooking for myself or baking for myself because then I'll like become a beached whale. So I, I prefer to bake everything and then bring it to the office or bring it to school or bring it to other people so that I can just bake it and other people can enjoy it. Yeah, that sounds really good. And there's nothing wrong with being a beach well. If you ever happen to become one, you can get help by the Ocean Conservancy. I've been freaking guests on our program. That's our ocean on Twitter. And us. Tweet us at the underscore podcast. This is really interesting um, about the, the, you know, I learned a lot uh, from, from guests on the show and obviously um, cooking and baking are two different things. Uh, and I want to ask you guys, I know we have a few more minutes, if I may, uh, I want to ask uh, some some general questions, um, some pop pop quiz questions, and kind of get your 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 opinions on both of them. Uh, they can be quick answers. You can elaborate whatever you want. Is that a game we can all we can all play? Hell yeah! Looking forward. All right. Now, uh, and and please, you know, offer to chime in any advice you might have for people out there. So these are all questions from our our, our listeners. Um, number one is: you pour a nice bowl of cereal. You're ready to have one. It's late at night. You need this. You open up the fridge. There's no milk. What substitute can you use? Or can you use water? I like a spoon in the box of cereal. No milk. Dry. Straight up? Just straight up. It's right. a pretty good answer. Amy, what would you do? Would you get a substitute or put it back? You have no milk-like options in the house. Uh, let's just say there's no milk in the house. I open up the fridge and I'm expecting to see the two percent, and it's gone. Should I be looking for something else, or is that is that a, a deal killer right there? So I'm assuming that if you're out of two percent, you're probably also out of almond milk, or soy milk, or coconut milk, or any That's milky substance. Kind of you can. I've had cereal with almond milk, and you can definitely do that. Um, I like Talia. Prefer dry. I only eat two cereals, though: corn checks and plain Cheerios. Both so great. they're great dry. But oh, the uh, yellow Cheerios, the Cheerios original, no honey, the no nuts. That, the the ones that kids leave in church pews, and their parents are like, "Just eat your Cheerios." And you know, there's drool and slot. Those ones, right? Yes, like a toddler, I love my Cheerios. Nothing wrong with it. Talia, you want to comment on the almond milk? I'd love to comment on the almond milk as someone with a dairy allergy. Yes, that does exist. Uh, And as someone with celiac disease who now can enjoy Cheerios, which are newly gluten-free, thank you, General Mills, um, I do prefer cashew milk. 
in my cereal. I think it has the most, it resembles most dairy milk. It's very light and it's mild and you can't taste that it's cashews. Um, you can find it at specialty stores, but I think cashew milk is a great option for people who like a more sweeter kind of milk, which is a little bit weird in your cereal. You can do the rice milk, which is a sweeter option. You can also get sweetened almond milk. Um, soy milk, like Amy said, is great. But um, these are all kind of specialty items. Um, everyone loves almond milk. You can get the unsweetened version. It, pretty t- it tastes pretty close to regular milk. But cashew milk, I think, is your best bet. That's interesting. You know, I never had cashew milk, but I have, I have had, I have had used the almond milk in what Amy said in lieu of like, hey, the regular milk's going. Whatever. I we have, we do have keep almond milk in the fridge, and I've used it. It can be done. It's like a little bit of a thicker, milkier kind of substance. What I can't do is the coconut milk with the cereal. I can do it with like sweets and things that are baked into, but just straight up, it's. I just can't get out of my head that I'm eating coconut, and I keep thinking of that scene in Zombieland where he doesn't like coconut because of the consistency. It's kind of like an avocado to me of, of the sweet tooth. So not in cereal, but, but everything else is good. So really interesting answers. I've got a few more questions. I want to ask these if I may. All right. You order a burger, okay? You can have any condom. Any condom. Don't put a condom on there, please. <laughs> you know, no glove, no love. Tomatoes. Uh, you can put any condiment in the world on there, but it can only be one, and it's for the rest of your life. What do you do? By condiment, are you talking like ketchup mustard family or like vegetables as well ketchup mustard family so relish uh mayonnaise anything that's in a packet in a restaurant for if i had to only have one condiment on my burger for all of eternity it would be just plain old yellow mustard nice a regular heinz woman and yellow mustard taya what about you what kind of condiment I got to go with ketchup. I put ketchup on everything. Fries, burgers, eggs. Love it. Good stuff. I'm with you. I'm, I'm more of a ketchup man. Except for in life. I can have a ketchup. How <laughs> we doing it here, Bismarck? Um, all right. This question is specifically for you, Amy. What is a cured meat? Cured meat. I mean, you hear that all the time. Uh, wh- what is it? I know you both can answer this, but I have one for Taya, too, about baking. So what is a cured meat? Well... I may not answer this as well as a simple Google search, but a cured meat is a preserved meat. So you can use things like salt or sugar to preserve meats like bacon and ham to make them last a little bit longer. It's a technique from many moons ago when you didn't have cold storage. Um, but yeah, it's it's a process to preserve meat, usually with salt or sugar. Um, you can find meats that are typically cured like bacon uncured and that's usually a healthier form of those types of meats um you can find them at your grocery store but whole foods or trader joe's might be a better option for finding meats like that a lot of people who try to stay away from sugar look for uncured versions of those meats they're probably not quite as flavorful but they are a healthier option nice that sounds good um I was yeah, I was curious with it, and it obviously affects the taste. So I'm always curious when I see you know they they bartered with cured meats to get to the Oregon Trail. Um, I want to ask Taya a question, then I want to ask two more for the both of you, if that's okay. Taya, you mentioned before earlier in the show that you've learned with uh, ingredients with baking, it's a science, and you know gluten free, dairy free options. If you even mess up a little bit in the measurements, it can ruin the whole thing, and you've learned that the hard way. Have you? Does that usually take place when it's all said and done and you taste it? Or do you know right away, like, oh, I screwed up, I got I to gotta do it? Like, kind of explain that, how that goes. So, 
you probably don't really find out until it's all done and it's baked and you taste it and you're like shit um because when you taste it like tasting the batter is like the best part i think the batter tastes better than the final part but that's just me i'm a weirdo um like a, a little bit of extra flour in your batter isn't gonna taste any different but when you cook it like you'll see that it didn't rise properly or that it's like sinking in the center or that it's not cooking properly and it'll be raw in some places and it's kind of just a pain in the butt um so you kind of have just you have to just kind of experiment with different gluten-free flour blends and um, different ingredients to see what works and every recipe is different um so it takes a lot of trial and error and you have to be really patient and you have to be willing to lose a lot of money on gluten-free ingredients when you buy them at the store, (laughs) but it's fun and it kind of like, it's therapeutic and, and it's really great when like you give your gluten-free and dairy-free baked goods people and they can't even tell that they're gluten-free. That's like really satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I I would imagine, um, you know, doing that and having having the same reaction is good because there is a stigma where you know, oh my God, it's gluten free, doesn't taste good. But you know, there's just so many things out there um, that you know a lot of that can go away. So that's good that that there's options out there and that you know you can you can slice them, dice them, make them taste good. Um, which going to bring me to my next question, which is uh, it's it's more of a cooking question, but grilled food versus fried food. What do you prefer, and does it have an effect on the taste? Amy Haskin. Well, yeah, it would definitely have an effect on the taste when you're frying versus grilling because it's how much fat you're losing from your food. Um, I think it depends on different types of food. Are we talking about meat here? Let's let's start with a with a with chicken, grilled chicken versus fried chicken. I love fried chicken so much. Um, I think fried chicken is probably a personal favorite of mine and I'm not a big batter person I usually just shake it around in some flour full of gluten and throw it in a hot sizzling pan with either some butter or some shortening and fry it up Um, a good alternative for the gluten and dairy-free people is to use clarified butter, which is dairy-free, um, no flour. If you get chicken with the skin on, um, I think chicken thighs probably work the best because everyone knows dark meat is better than white meat. Um, get your chicken thighs, take the thigh bone out, then you can flatten your chicken a little bit. Um, that always helps cook it a lot more evenly, um, You throw it in your hot cast iron with your clarified butter, and you can fry it up. You get a nice crispy skin that way. I think that's probably the best way to do chicken. You can do grilled chicken, too. There's nothing wrong with it. It's great. But I think with grilled chicken, you really need to work on your flavor profile. So you want to make sure it's nicely seasoned because you are losing some of that fat flavor. So you want to add some other options to your meat. Well said. Very good. Uh, yeah, I can agree with you a lot of that. I love fried chicken, too. I love fried chicken so much, I fill up a bathtub with it every Sunday, and I lay in it. That's not true. But if you want to make that happen, tweet us at the underscore podcastle. Taya, fried food, we'll, start, we'll do the chicken, unless you want to use another, another reference. Fried versus grilled. Your preferences. If I could still eat fried chicken at a restaurant, if I didn't have to be gluten-free, I would go fried chicken 100% all the time. I think it's way better. Grilled chicken, I feel like you tend to get it to dry it out and to get it overcooked, especially if you're eating at a restaurant. They tend to overcook it and like really, really kill it. And then it's dry and you can't swallow it. And it's like, it's all rubbery. Like it's just not worth it. 
with fried chicken, yeah, you can make a gluten-free version. Um, little bit, little bit more difficult with the difference in how the flour behaves when you cook it and when you bake it with the gluten-free flours. Also with the dairy-free version, Amy mentioned the clarified butter. That's great for people with um, lactose intolerance. For people with like a dairy allergy, they might want to avoid the clarified butter altogether because there is a chance that they wouldn't be able to tolerate it. But you can always try the Earth Balance uh, butter substitute, which is great, or Smart Balance, which is great. Um, Those are they kind of resemble butter the most. Um, again, clarified butter butter is great for people with um, lactose intolerance, which is a large portion of the population. So that kind of thing you'd have to do at your own house. Like you're not going to go to a restaurant and be able to get gluten-free and dairy-free fried chicken. Just doesn't, doesn't happen. It'd be nice, but it doesn't work like that. Um, experiment in your house and see, you know, a different kind of gluten-free flour blends, which one works best for you, different kind of butter substitutes. And also you have to talk about, you have to think about the milk substitute that you'll want to use for your batter. If that's how you roll, you know, the almond milk, or I wouldn't recommend coconut milk for this kind of thing. Uh, it might be, it might be a little bit too sweet, but cashew milk might be a great option. Um, so if you're, if you're going to a restaurant, grilled chicken is always a safe bet for gluten-free diets. Um, but it just kind of, like Amy said, it doesn't have that same um, effect on your on your taste buds. Yeah, no, it's that's that's great. Um, you know, and some people might prefer it. You know, it depends on the person. But it's nice to know um, with different options. Uh, you know, if you have certain dietary restrictions or whatnot, what's what's a safe bet to, to go for? And also, if you're cooking, um, you know, for people, if you're having a large party, uh, we mentioned on the show a couple months ago, uh, Biscardi was at a. Um, a picnic and started laying cheese down on the burgers and he you know he didn't know what was up but you know a lot of people uh have uh are allergic to dairy so you know he learned the hard way which started screaming at him you know he's like what i put a cheese on which i think is kind of funny not that he was putting cheese on it but, but he just assumed everyone had a cheeseburger so we don't even want a cheeseburger you know i i sometimes prefer a hamburger but but it's good to know that there's you know what safe options are out there so uh, this has been great. Um, thank you guys for coming on the show. I want to ask one more question before we go. Uh, we'll bring it back full circle to Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is uh, tomorrow at the time of this recording. And um, uh, the question will be that I'm curious about your opinions on this. Uh, which family member do you hate the most? No, the question is uh, what is your favorite and least favorite item on the table? And I'll tell you what mine are. My least favorite, and this is all about the consistency, is the cranberry sauce. It looks like uh, a hip replacement um, or a boob implant that was left out from the 80s and deteriorated over time. Or uh, milk, when you leave it out somewhere and you forget about it, and two weeks later, it's got that uh, ectoplasm, wet Play-Doh feel. That, to me, looks like, and I will never eat it. That being said, I absolutely adore that green, what is it, green bean casserole with the crispies? So delicious um, as well. But uh, we'll start with you, Ty. What is your favorite and least favorite uh, items on the table Thanksgiving? So I love everything that's bad for you. Anything with carbs, anything with sugar, anything that will kill you in the end. So I got to go with the stuffing as my favorite. Well, this is prior to being gluten-free. Got to go with the stuffing. Um, up until this week, I've never had gluten-free stuffing, stuffing until I made it at home. So um, used to love the stuffing, love the cornbread. Um, I've never met a Thanksgiving dish I didn't like. That's great. That being said, if I had to choose between all the options on the table, I'd probably not eat the turkey. 
because it's usually dry because it's not cooked in a barbecue. And I'd rather like fill my calories with the other options that are terrible for you on the table. That's so true. Yeah, you know, that's so true with the turkey as well. I know like uh, every year because everything's so good that when you get the turkey, which is the main thing, it's the point of the whole holiday, you're just like, oh, I guess I'll have a little turkey now. And it is kind of dry compared to everything else. Um, I don't understand the whole turkey thing too. I get, I get the pilgrims and all that. Uh, I guess turkey was available, but I would have went with a with a chicken maybe, or or um, I guess not now, but an eagle egg at one point. Well, no, terrible. Um, anyway, Amy, what is your least favorite and favorite um, dishes at the pilgrim holiday? I have a quick sidebar first. You mentioned frying and grilling chicken. I think a really great method for chicken is braising. And it may perhaps, we can discuss braising on the next cooking episode. But yeah, everyone should consider braising. All right, back to Thanksgiving dinner. My favorite, and this is like so weird because it's so simple and really not very exciting, is the green bean casserole. It's just green beans and cream mushroom soup and French's fried onions on top. And it's so good. And I think it's because it's like special occasion vegetable that like I get excited about it. But I love it. I love the flavor profile. It's, it's really so good. good. Um, and, you know, a lot of things I feel have improved on our Thanksgiving table when I started helping out. My mom was always very traditional and she never strayed from her recipes. But then I would take over and our turkey has significantly improved once I introduced brining. Um, the potatoes have significantly inter- improved once I introduced cream cheese. Um, my least favorite though, my mom insists on making this every year and she and my dad love it to pieces. And I don't know why, cause it looks like a bowl of vomit is scalloped corn, which is like a creamed corn with butter and mashed up saltine crackers in there. And I guess, I guess it's a big favorite among people, but I feel like it's looks like and is it like a squash sort of like the consistency of the squash that they do at old folks it it just looks like mush with corn bits in it and it, i mean you know what it actually smells really good when you cook it because you smell that butter cooking but it's just so vile to me and none of my siblings eat it we just look at it and go why do we have eight thousand pounds of this on the table but yeah it's it's my least favorite i'm not a big fan of the cranberry sauce either but you know what can you do my least, my other least favorite one, if that's true, is uh, when my uncle Ray drinks too much beers, and then start we all start crying at the table because he's drunk. No, I, I can't talk about that. No, it's fine. Um, that was really interesting, though. We hope uh, you hope you guys wouldn't mind coming back to the show sometime. I feel like there's a lot we could get into, especially with John on the air. John uh, will be on shortly. Um, he's got some things he's got to take care of there in South Florida. So, uh, but this was fun though. I'd like to thank uh, Amy Haskett and Taya Seed for being on the show. It was really, I feel like we just scratched the uh, tip of the, the surface with this. It was really, really fun. So, we hope you guys will come back and uh, you can listen to all the shows for free on Podbean at thepodcastle.podbean.com and on iTunes and to tweet us at the underscore podcastle. What else can we shove down your throat? Snapchat, nerd.35. Thank you so much with Matthew Clark, Taya Hassid, and Amy Haskett saying good night, everybody. Adios, amigos, and Lala Tov.
dancing on the fence. The magic spell you kiss. This is lovely and rose. When you kiss me, heaven sighs. And though I close my eyes, I see love and rose. When you press me to your heart, and in a world apart, a world where roses bloom. And when you speak, angels sing from above. Every day word seems to turn into love song. Give your heart and soul to me, and life will always bleed. Love.